0: Thank you for joining us in our study of the gospel according to Matthew. In this episode, we will be looking at a much-discussed passage, uh, Matthew 19, verses 1 to 12. Uh, Now, this text has received so much attention because it deals with a highly practical, complicated, and emotionally charged topic, namely divorce. Now, there's not enough space in a series like this to cover all the issues uh, that people inevitably want to talk about when it comes up to uh, divorce. In fact, as we'll see, addressing this topic in such a way uh, that we're left with a whole lot of unanswered questions uh, seems to be the norm in biblical revelation. So, I guess I'm in good company. But, uh, like the scriptural witness, our purpose here is not to get lost in too many details. Uh, What about this circumstance? Or what would you say about this particular situation? Uh, But instead, the purpose is to get at the heart of the matter, which is always the matter of, well, the heart. Now, before we look at the text, let's spend a moment thinking about the context of this passage. It's important for us to think about its literary context, where it falls in the Gospel according to Matthew. If you can think all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, you'll remember that Jesus has already talked about divorce and um, the importance of staying true to our commitment in marriage. And a lot of this is repetitious. A lot of the stuff here in chapter 19 uh, is we can already find there in chapter 5. So that leads us to think about why is it that Matthew has included uh, this discussion of Um, divorce uh, here at this particular juncture. Well, for those who have been following along in this series, I I hope you've been struck with the seriousness of our last subject in chapter 18. Jesus says it about as clearly as anyone ever could. Uh, A disciple absolutely must forgive. And that was the point of chapter 18. No matter the offense, no matter the difficulty, uh, no matter how many times you've been sinned against, Uh, You have to forgive. But that subject of forgiveness gets very, well, practical and challenging when it specifically comes to marriage. Uh, The commentator Rodney Reeves puts it this way in his uh, Story of God Bible commentary. Quote, Think of what it would mean to marriages if husbands and wives forgave each other as God has forgiven them or take Jesus' response to Peter's question about the number of times we should forgive someone and apply it to married couples who grow tired of fighting with each other over the same issue. When I was a pastor, counseling sessions over troubled marriages would have ended so much better if just one of the spouses would have said, I forgive, no debts, no regrets. End quote. This unit on divorce and faithfulness in marriage then can be seen as a special case study and the broader lesson before on the necessity of forgiveness. It will also interact and intersect with what has been said in chapter 18 about the sacrifice and self-denial a person may need to make uh, for the kingdom of God. In other words, we can acknowledge that Jesus' teaching on divorce is going to be hard. Now, any reading of this text that just comfortably fits in with the common practice is missing the point. It's supposed to be difficult. But Jesus has prepared us for hard teaching already and has challenged us to count the cost. Now, people don't like to be challenged on the subject of marriage. In fact, Matthew has already narrated the martyrdom of John the Baptist, coming from his challenge of Herod Antipas' immoral marriage. To get to the significance of why the Pharisees attacked Jesus on this matter, it's helpful to read from Deuteronomy 24. Uh, this is the text in the Old Testament that addresses the subject of divorce. Now, as I read this passage, think about all uh, the questions that, am- that might arise if you were a first-century Israelite, and this is the primary text on divorce. Starting in verse 1, When a man takes a wife and marries her, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. One major question is if Moses here is even commanding divorce. After all, that's the way, that's the, way the ESV has it. Uh, the divorce is just in the Protestant, that is the if clause. So, that doesn't necessarily, in and of itself, justify the action. But it just spells out what must happen in this imagined scenario. In other words, when the law says something like, if a man steals a sheep, then he must restore it, this in no way justifies stealing people's sheep. It's just in that situation, then here's what you're to do. In the same way Moses says, if somebody gets divorced, then this is what you are to do. But perhaps you noticed another ambiguity. He talks about finding an indecent thing. Predictably, uh, that received a lot of different interpretations in the first century. Uh, The Mishnah, uh, the Jewish law dating after the New Testament, records the debate for us. It says, The house of Shammai say a man should divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for it in unchastity since it is said, because he is found in her indecency in anything. And the house of Hillel say, even if she spoiled his dish, since it is said, because he is found in her indecency in anything. Rabbi Akuba says, even if he found someone else prettier than she, since it is said, and it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes. So, here are different Jewish interpretations of Deuteronomy 24. Uh, The house of Shammai says the indecent thing is um, unfaithfulness, unchastity in marriage. But then there were more liberal approaches which said this could be anything, even if you find a girl that's even prettier than your wife. Now, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they want to know where he stands on this debate. So, listen for his answer and how he interacts with the two schools of thought, the house of Shammai and the house of Hillel, um, in Matthew 19, 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, "...because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery." The disciples said to him, "...if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry." But he said to them, "...not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given." For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Jesus' response to the Pharisees' test comes in three basic parts. First, he gives his answer from Genesis in Matthew 194 6 and then he supplements his answer, including the exception clause in interacting with Deuteronomy 24 in Matthew 19, 7-9. And then finally, he makes an application towards his disciples regarding the difficulty of this teaching in verses 10-12. to 12. Let's take each of these in turn. Uh, Jesus' initial answer includes a short citation from Genesis 1 about God making them male and female. So that way, he can emphasize that this is from the beginning, In other words, creation as God intended it. And then with a citation from Genesis 2. This section reinforces the importance of marriage. It is not to be treated lightly. A man leaves his previous family unit... And even the Hebrew of uh, Genesis 2 may have something of the flavor of forsake, forsaking father and mother. Again, it's not the idea that the parents are literally hated, but new loyalties are being formed. So it's a serious commitment. Uh, Secondly, God joins them together. There is a spiritual component to marriage in which they are actually bonded together spiritually. And this is reflected or even symbolized in the physical intimacy of marriage. So, these things being the case, a person shouldn't flippantly leave a spouse because she has spoiled the dish, in the words of the house of Hillel. Matthew records the Pharisees' response as wondering about why then Moses commanded divorce. Now, again, as we've already seen from earlier, that reads way too much into Deuteronomy 24. Jesus' language of allowing corrects this error. But Jesus' response focuses on the way things should be, based on the original design for marriage. Now, Moses' allowance is valid, and Jesus doesn't deny that. Uh, But instead, Jesus interprets the indecent thing, he specifies it, as sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word here is porneia, where we get the word pornography. In some circles, like in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it gets kind of a fixed definition, Uh, it's it's kind of a technical term, but its use in the New Testament is much more general. It just means, well, sexual immorality. Again, with all the complications that have arisen within marriage and Christendom, I think about the past couple thousand years and all the marriages that have been and people studying this passage, uh, not a few people have wished that Jesus was a little more explicit in exactly what counts as a valid reason. But all of that, I think, misses the thrust. The point is not to try to get out. Instead, we are called to forgive. And, And that's the thrust of this passage. Jesus requires forgiveness on the part of his followers. The emphasis is not on when one can get a divorce and not get in trouble. Instead, the thrust concerns those outside of this exception clause. They are the ones being commanded to do something, namely stay married. Some interpreters, who rightly have a high view of marriage and its permanency, point to Mark and Luke's parallel accounts where no such exception clause is recorded. Now, there's an argument that Christians are not allowed to divorce even if there has been sexual immorality because that is the way Mark and Luke record Jesus' words. The obvious question, then, is what should we do with Matthew's version? Uh, Their answer, uh, this other school of thought, is that this exception clause, except for porneia, has a very specific situation in view that matches material only in Matthew, namely unfaithfulness during the betrothal period. Uh, So, in other words, uh, Matthew here is guarding the character of Joseph. Uh, Jesus was not condemning his father for considering how to break off the marriage when he found out what appeared to him To be signs of sexual immorality during the engagement. While we can appreciate the high view of marriage behind this view and support the desire to encourage people to stay true to their marriage vows no matter what, this interpretation seems forced and kind of unnatural. Most people would understand porneia as general sexual sin, kind of an umbrella term, Uh, With the background provided for us in the Mishnah, Jesus seems to be pretty neatly aligned with the conservative approach, like that of Shammai. In fact, given the majority view that Matthew used Mark in composing his gospel and Matthew's tendency to add clarification to Mark, to iron out some of his wrinkles, it's easier to say that Matthew is explaining what's implicit in Mark, rather than read Matthew chapter 1 into the situation. So, the thrust is the permanency of marriage, forgiveness even when it's hard. So, Peter responds then, well, it's better not to marry. Now, Peter may have meant this in a misogynistic way. You mean I'm stuck with her forever? But Jesus takes this as an opportunity to talk about what it means to abstain from marriage. Uh, Because marriage is such a big deal, it can hinder the work of the kingdom. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, the married man cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. But, you know, if a person is called to that, uh, being a figurative eunuch, uh, they have been given that role by God. And with Paul, Jesus says that even though it's contrary to popular opinion at the time, remaining single for the Lord's work is a good thing. And a person to whom this calling is given should accept it. In other words, for those listening who are married, marriage is a big deal. Um, God has joined you together, so you will need to exercise the important virtue of chapter 18 and forgive 70 times 70 times. But for those listening who are not married, know that marriage isn't everything. The kingdom of God is everything. Think carefully about what God has called you to and be faithful to him. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash